Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. I want to tell you uh, just a story about a friend of mine. Her name's Terry. And to be honest, we weren't the best of friends, but she had a great influence in my life. The summer of 1979, my mom had just become a Christian. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant because I just knew we were all Christians, you know, born in America kind of thing. And she said, let's start going to this church. It's a little Baptist church in our town in Petaluma. And I was okay with that because we had done the church thing off and on through our lives. And so we get there, we get plugged in a little bit. Uh, There's a youth group, not a very big church, but they had active, vibrant youth group. And so I go to Sunday school with the youth. And you see, the the thing is, I was okay being a weekend attender at church, but inside I had already determined I was an outsider. I wasn't really interested in being an insider in church. I didn't want to really get plugged in. And so they have activities every once in a while in youth group. My sister's about a year and a half older than me. And we were in the high school group. And I remember my mom came to us in the fall of 79 and said, Hey, they have a retreat. It's a snow retreat up in Truckee, up in the hills of Tahoe. And I'd like for you guys to go on this snow retreat. That was the last thing I wanted to do. First of all, we were poor, and so I'd never been in the snow in the sense of like recreation. I was born in Indiana, so I know what snow is all about, uh, you know. But but this was like skiing and sledding. I hadn't really done that before, and a little embarrassed because we didn't have the money for clothes and things like that, and hadn't done it. And so I just didn't want to go. I mean, I just. I really, to be honest, I just didn't want to go because I didn't want to know people. I didn't want to get to know more people. I was fine being an introvert, being a little sci-fi geek. And I remember telling my mom, Mom, I don't want to go because, true story, I might miss some episodes of Star Trek. Now, I I understood the whole theory of syndication and how it worked, but I was just trying to figure something to grab onto. And she said, no, I really want you to go. And then come to find out a youth sponsor family had paid our way. And so now I'm stuck, and so we're going. So I, you know, kind of acquiesce, and I decide to go. And part of the reason I decided to go is because I wanted to go and prove to my mom that she was wrong. I just wanted to be able to come back and say, I told you I wouldn't have a good time, and it wasn't a good time. Nobody invited me in and all that stuff, and it was kind of boring, and I'll just go to weekend church. That's basically how it's going to be for me. So we get up there into Truckee, and we're hanging out, and the youth are out there playing. And again, I'm wearing jeans, and if you've ever worn jeans in the snow, that lasts only about 15 to 30 minutes. And you're back in there, and I'm sitting on a couch, and I'm reading a book, and I'm just kind of isolating, doing my introvert thing. And this gal, Terry, is sitting across the room, and she says, hey, you want to play a game? And I said, no. I didn't. I didn't want to know anybody. I didn't want to meet anybody. I wanted just to be me. You know what I mean? 
And, and she said, well, come on, let's play a game. I said, well, what game? And she said, well, it's called Pit. I thought, well, that's a stupid name. I didn't say it. And I thought, well, that's got to be, that's got to be dumb. And she persisted and there was another gal there. And I finally said yes. And that is when God opened a crack in my heart. And I remember sitting there having fun. I'm, have anybody played pit before? I mean, some of you, oh, you need to get the game. My, I, my, I played with my family on Friday night and it was awesome. We're screaming two, 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 three, three. You know, it's just, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just get the game. It's hilarious. And I'm having a good time. And all of a sudden a crack opens in my heart and God's spirit begins to work in that. And it's only about a month later that I received Jesus Christ. And, and I credit Terry with that. Because she was the one that opened a crack in my heart. And I remember telling her this a couple years ago. I saw her in Salem. Her family was there and we had gone to college together and the whole deal. And you know, I tell you this story specifically because I was in Salem on Friday and I was at her funeral. She struggled the last couple years with cancer. And um, if there's anything I hate worse than cancer, it's death. And I remember going to OHSU, I was going to see a family member, you know, a friend of Sunrise, and just right next door was Terry and her husband, Jeff, and going in there, and I didn't, you know, what do you say, what do you do, and to follow along, and then to discover, you know, she had some good scans, and she was clean, and she worked hard, hair's growing back, and then about a month ago, I open up my computer, and I get an email from Caring Bridge, and I don't like emails from Caring Bridge. And so it said that her cancer's back. And I go to Facebook and I check and I see the word hospice. I don't like the word hospice. And I I told my wife, I said, oh no, should I drive to Salem? I mean, do I just like cancel the day and go down there? I don't really know. I mean, she had such a huge part of my salvation story. I would have never been standing on this platform if it hadn't been for her just opening up her heart. Getting a stupid, geeky, little, skinny, scrawny, sci-fi geek kid to play a dumb game called Pit that started me on a journey. And I heard story after story. I saw videos and pictures. Her kids got up and her brothers are dear friends of mine. And, you know, we we had good times together back home. And and I kept, all I could think about was Paul's words. In fact, Paul's words, I want to to read them to you. I've got them here on the screen, uh, resonated for me. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. He's repeating his theme here. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this world, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. 
But in fact, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Now, I am a firm believer in the resurrection. Because if I am not, I am to be pitied above all people. My sermons are useless. My preaching is useless. This church is useless. Your faith is useless. Your whole existence as a Christian is a farce. If there is no resurrection from the dead. It's not just about our hope to be with Jesus in eternity. It's the fact that Jesus himself came back from the grave. I was talking with Heather, my dear friend, last night, and she was telling me, she said, you know, Jesus was in the grave three days, so we don't have to be. You see, the Bible says that when we die, we go into the presence of God, our Savior. We go immediately in the, just just like that, we are in the presence of Jesus, and we don't have to suffer the grave, but we still suffer death. And we still suffer the pain. And the Bible says that death has been swallowed up. That death is a defeated foe. That the grave has been destroyed. But you and I still die. And some of us have experienced that. I love doing weddings. Weddings are so much fun. And, you know, I tell people, you're the best looking you're ever going to be. It's all going to be downhill from here. And, you know, it's, it's great. I love to encourage people. And, um, and you know, and it, but you know what I tell you? As a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. And I love ministering, but I hate death. I get mad at death. I get angry at cancer, frustrated by these things because we're left. We're holding everything else up. And I've done far more funerals in my life than I've ever wanted to do. And I know in those moments, it's an opportunity for Jesus to be honored and glorified. And I hope that's the case for all of our funerals and memorial services, but I hate it. I hate standing there knowing that death seemingly won. And yet there is a hope that you and I have that even though we die, we will live again. And as the psalm says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and that precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. But I still hate it because we weep and we mourn. And I know it because some of you have lost loved ones recently. Husbands and wives, uh, sons and daughters, moms and dads, dear friends. Um, And it it hurts, it aches. Because the memories are there and the moments are there. But, you know, it's like this idea of a resurrection in the future is exciting. But what about now? Because we're surrounded by such loss. And, you know, grieving. Grieving is the price we pay for opening up our heart to love someone. And if we experience loss and mourning, it's because we opened up our lives and we gave a part of ourselves away. And now there's a hole, there's a void, there's a vacuum. And that is a reminder that we loved and we let people in. You know, not everybody believes in the resurrection. I remember when I was in college, I had this great professor, Dr. David Miller. He was real fun, and he had this contemporary theology class. And so over a period of the semester, we would spend, it was a Tuesday, Thursday class, and we would spend Tuesday, and he would talk all about a contemporary theologian, somebody who claims to be a Christian, but teaches things against the Bible. And we'd study that. And then on Thursday, he'd invite that spokesperson in, or one of the spokespeople in. And so we would listen to that person teach and talk about their 
evidence of their thing and why they believe what they believe. And then we had a half of the class time to ask questions. And that was our grade. If you don't ask a question, you fail. So ask good questions. So we had a, a, a Unitarian Universalist pastor come in and she talked about her belief and what the Bible is and, you know, the life and everything. And then, and, you know, I asked the question. I said, well, what about the afterlife? She says, there is no afterlife. I said, so what happens when we die? She goes, the lights go out. That's it? She said, yeah, the lights go out. This life is all we have. Make the most of it. My friends, if this life is all we have, there's no way to make the most of it. Because we were made for more than this life. We were made for a relationship with God that stretches beyond the the 60, 80, or whatever years that God gives us here. We were made to live forever in the presence of God. And this existence, as maybe great as it is for some of us right now, maybe not so great for some of us, in the high points, it's got to be more than that. There's got to be more than this. And the reality is some people come to church and, and they ascribe to the idea of like a heaven one day or something like that, but they don't quite get all the way it works. In fact, at the time of Jesus, there was a whole group of religious people. The conservative religious people of Jesus' day did not believe in a resurrection. They believed that once you die, that's it, lights out. There's nothing more. That all you hope for is in this life. Bible-believing people The conservative Jewish group said, this is it. In fact, open your Bible to Matthew 22 because we're going to see this story. As you're turning there, we just continue on with the journey of Jesus. Uh, For those of you that are with us, you know, for the first time or it's been a while since you've been here, we're just looking at the life of Jesus and Matthew going section by section through it. And we've seen Jesus come into Jerusalem for the very last time to come in during the beginning of Passover, which will be the Passion Week of Christ, the final week in the life of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And we'll see the resurrection and Easter, good things are going to be coming that day but up to this point there's arguments there's fighting jesus has come in everybody said hosanna you know save us now god blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord he comes in riding on a donkey all the palm branches are waving that's on a sunday and then on monday he comes in and he cleans the temple out and he restores the worship order there and on tuesday all the religious leaders are upset and so group after group come to jesus and they try to trip him up they try to trap him with words they try to get him theologically but they can't get Jesus theologically. They try to get him politically, but they can't get him politically. Is there any way we can denounce him in public? Can Jesus trip up and say something that the crowds will disperse and go away and be disappointed in him and realize he is a false Messiah? What are we going to do? And so last week we saw the Herodians came up and they were the ones who supported the government. And we talked about paying taxes and rendering to Caesar what was Caesar and rendering to God what was God's. And uh, if you missed that, it's online. I encourage you to see that. There's some great stuff Jesus said there. And then today the Sadducees are back. The Sadducees. Now, who are the Sadducees? We'll, we'll take a look at this. This is the, the encounter. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Their name literally means the righteous ones. Now, that isn't necessarily an accurate description of them, but that's how people saw them because they were the leaders of the temple. They were the high priests. They were the ones that offered the sacrifices for the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. They were the rulers. They were the leaders in Jerusalem. They were the religious leaders and they say there is no resurrection from the dead. Now, why would they say that? 
Well, because a conservative group of people, the Sadducees, said if we can't find it in God's law, it doesn't exist. They threw out all the Bible. I mean, they liked the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, but they didn't consider it holy scripture. Only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The law, or more accurately called Torah, God's teaching for his people, God's heart for his people, as written down by Moses. That's the only Bible we believe. And if it doesn't show up there, then it's not anything we teach or preach. And they couldn't find the resurrection at all in the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. And so they discarded it. Okay. And if you ever want to remember who the Sadducees are, is they didn't believe in life after death. That's why they were so sad, you see. Okay. And so... No apologies. You're going to remember that. Okay. That was one of their core beliefs, at least as we see in the New Testament. Now, they were a corrupt people, to be frank, because they loved the benefits of the Greek lifestyle, the Roman influence. And so they would go to the, the theaters. They would go to the plays. They would go to the sporting. They, they did uh, basically the religious duty in the temple and they would offer the sacrifices. Uh, they believed theologically correct. They were very conservative in that sense. But their lives were really compromised. And so they come up to Jesus with this conundrum, with this question, and they think they're going to trap Jesus. Okay. Which is kind of ridiculous. If they haven't been paying attention, no one can trap Jesus. So take a look here. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses said, now that's important because that's all they're going to look at. If Moses didn't say it, we're not going to waste our time on it. Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Deuteronomy 25 is called the Leverite marriage and it is a requirement of the law. And here's how it works. If you're a man and you're married and you die before you've had children, it is the requirement for your next brother to come in, single brother, to marry that widow because the name, the lineage, I'm just, I just wrapped up numbers this morning in my daily reading through the Bible. And it was so critical that the land be carried on by the names of the descendants of the tribes that you had to protect your inheritance. And it all came with the name. So it's very critical that you pass on your name, your lineage. We don't want to be forgotten as a nation. And so it made sense that if the brother dies and, and he had no kids, then the next brother comes in and marries. Okay. That's not how we do it today in our culture, but that is what the old Testament law demanded. Deuteronomy 25, a Leverite marriage. And so they pose a question to Jesus. Well, suppose, by the way, this is a hypothetical question. Never get caught in hypothetical questions. Hypothetical questions are, are just smoke screens that are created by people that don't want to believe in the first place and they want to see if they can embarrass you. I mean, I, I've, I've had a lot of hypothetical questions posed at me as a pastor, as a follower of Christ. A lot of smoke screens and things that sound really great and it's just crazy. You know that there was a hypothetical question that was posed at the time of Jesus. It's this one. Uh, there was a hypothetical question that was posed in the Middle Ages um, and it wasn't is the Pope Catholic. That was pretty obvious, but it was this, how many angels can stand on the head of a pen? You're thinking, well, that's a worthless space of time. Yeah, exactly. But they would get together and they would argue parishioners, theologians, how many angels can stand on the end of a pen? You're thinking, why would they do that? Because people love to think about possibilities and ignore the truth all the time. Don't be that kind of person. Who, who doesn't want to believe in Jesus because of the hypothetical questions? Can God create a rock so big that God can't lift it? If not, he's not God. And if he does, he's not God. I've proven my case. 
ridiculous. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. I've had, that's been posed to me before. Suppose there were seven brothers. Oh, that's a good story. And one bride for seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow in keeping with the law. But the second brother also died. And the third brother married her. This third brother's kind of dumb, if you ask me, because something's going on here, right? I mean, come on, right? I mean, if your oldest brother and then the next, and you're thinking, Mom and Dad, have we investigated this woman? Is there something going on here? Has she got a curse? This continued with all seven of them. Big hypothetical question. Well, let's go back. Let's go back. All seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So she took her life on that one too. So hypothetical question. Now here's the question. Teacher, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Gotcha, Jesus. You're going to lose. It's like, what a silly question to ask. For all seven were married to her. Now look what Jesus does. He just slams them. I don't know if he's smiling at this moment, but he says, your mistake. First of all, this is a public presentation the crowds are around jesus is teaching in the temple the sadducees come up to embarrass to trap jesus and jesus says you are wrong your mistake first of all your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures ouch did these people not know the scriptures i mean all they had were the five books how could you not know the five books any jewish young man by the age of 14 to 16 had memorized the five books any religious leader priest would have had these memorized they knew these things you don't know the scriptures you think you know the bible but you don't really know the bible you've read the bible but you haven't figured out what god's saying through the bible and you don't know the power of God. That's a double whammy there. You you think that God is someone you can control. You can put God in your pocket and you have power over him. God has power over everything because he's God. He says, you think you know, but you're mistaken because you don't know the Bible and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now that's a weird parenthetical thought. Did you know that in heaven we won't be married? Good. Nobody applauded. Thank you very much. Okay. That would be self-incriminating. Some of you thought about it. Okay. Some of you poked your husbands, right, ladies? Um, I'll be free. No. um, Wait a minute. I thought we're going to go to heaven and we're going to know everybody and all that stuff. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't really speak a lot about that. We do know that when we go to heaven, like as in eternity heaven, it's actually going to be in the earth, a new created earth. Genesis starts with an earth and then Revelation starts with a brand new earth at the end there. And he recreates everything and we live here on the earth with God and there's this big city that's come down and awesome things are going to go on and everything. So we're heaven is in like the presence of God here on the earth. And we know that we're going to be worshiping God. I know some guys don't want to go to heaven because that sounds boring sitting on a harp. You know, sitting on a a cloud playing a harp. It's not what heaven is all about. We're going to be worshiping God. We are going to know each other somehow, but we don't know how that works. But we won't need marriage. Marriage is a a contract, a covenant of of this life that we live in. And part of that, and a huge part of that is procreation. God said to Adam and Eve, you know, be fruitful and multiply. That's, that is the command they obeyed, okay? And they disobeyed the other one. And, and, and so that's how life is here. But it's not going to be like that in heaven. Um, will we recognize each other as mother and father and brother and sister and things like that? You know, I don't know. But we're not going to need the relationship of marriage. And then he says, we're going to 
you know, think of it this way, we'll be like the angels in heaven. Now, now, again, clear point. I love It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite Jimmy Stewart movies. But Clarence was wrong. Every time a bell rings, an angel doesn't get his wings. Okay? Because angels don't have wings. Only one group of spiritual beings called the cherubs and the seraph have wings. And they're not called angels. They're the ones that hover around the throne of God. Angels are messengers of God. And every time in the Bible you see an angel, he appears as a young man. Uh, He appears as a young man. He shows up. He walks and talks. looks like a person. Okay? And so these messengers don't have the sexual relationship. They don't have marriage. And, And they're all men. Okay? In the Bible. All right, young men. And so Jesus says, hey, first of all, you're confused because in heaven, in eternity, we won't be married. That relationship won't exist anymore. And and beside that, we're going to be like the angels in heaven. And we're not going to become angels. We're going to be like them in the sense that, you know, we're not going to be given into marriage. We're not going to have that relationship. And then Jesus goes on to say this. But now as to your silly little question, whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read this in the scriptures? And then Jesus just blows them away. Long after Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living and not the dead. Jesus goes right to Exodus chapter 3. The biggest encounter in the law where God shows up to Moses in a burning bush and God speaks to that bush. God calls Moses and commissions him to lead the Jewish people, the Hebrew people out of Egypt. And he speaks and he says, I am when Moses asks, what's your name? Who should I say sent me? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They're not dead they are alive and that reminds us that all of our friends our family our loved ones who've gone before us they have died physically and their bodies are in a grave in the ground but spiritually immaterially they're in the presence of God if they've died in Christ and we live forever somewhere we were all made to live forever somewhere in a relationship with God in all eternity we call it heaven any connection with God there or apart from God we call it hell Separated from God in torment. We were all made to live forever somewhere. And Jesus says, he goes right to Exodus chapter 3 and says, didn't you ever read the Bible? This is what God says. Now, I don't know if the penny dropped for these Sadducees and they walked away going, I'd never seen that before. That makes sense. Or if they just walked away astounded and dumbfounded and thought, I thought we could trick him. But it says when the crowds heard him, Because the crowds are watching and listening. They were astounded at his teaching. That all he had to do was open up a little text and prove his point. Now the Bible says without question. Jesus affirms without question. That though we die, we will live. And that when we die, we go into the presence of God. Now there's a lot throughout the pages of scripture that talk about that journey, that existence, about angels coming, about this relationship where we see Jesus face to face and that we're going to be like him because we're going to see him and we're going to look at him and our bodies are going to be transformed one day. Jesus is going to come back uh, and, and our bodies will rise from the grave and we'll be united and we'll have resurrected bodies. And Jesus got a resurrected body. We see this in the 
very end of all the gospels that Jesus walks and he talks and he breathes and he eats and people recognize him as Jesus. I remember years and years and years ago teaching a theology class here and this one gal said, well, I can't wait for the new heaven and new earth when I get a brand new body and I look like an 18 year old and I, I'm really thin and, and she wasn't thin and, uh, you know, and all that stuff. I said, I hate to break it to you, but Jesus looked like Jesus. I think you're going to look like you. It's like, oh, man, I was hoping for an improvement. I go, but that's not going to matter. That's not going to matter. And I don't know. I don't know what we're going to look like, except for the fact that when Jesus was resurrected, all of his disciples, his men and women looked at him and knew it was Jesus. And, but it was different. It was glorified. It was without sin in a way that our bodies will be without sin. Now, Jesus was without sin anyway, but it was... Jesus going first. Jesus being the first one. So when we're coming back from Cuba, we're landing in Charlotte. We're kind of hovering around a little bit. And I see this amusement park. I've never been to Charlotte. I've been to Charlotte once to see the Billy Graham stuff. And then, and I see this amusement park. I'm just kind of watching and we're just flying around and I see this roller coaster. It's like, wow, that's a serious roller coaster. And it goes up and up and up and there's nobody on it. And, and yet the park's not functioning, but I look, and as the plane's turning around, I'm looking at, and that sucker just drops straight down. It's a vertical drop thinking what moron created that and what idiots are going to ride that thing. Right. It's like, but if somebody goes first and lives, ah, I'll consider it. Right. If they die, I won't. Okay. But I'm thinking Jesus went first. I was literally thinking this. This is Jesus. Jesus always goes first. He goes before us into darkness and he opens up the way to light. And he reminds us that no matter how dark it is in death, there's life and there's light waiting for us. And when we pass from this existence, we pass directly into the presence of God. The Bible teaches that. I have sat with so many people on those moments of death. And held hands with people as they passed from this life. And again, I, I love to be there to minister. But I hate it because I get mad at death. Because death keeps winning. Or so it seems. But Jesus has won. And Jesus is the victor. And Jesus has conquered death. And he's conquered for us the fear of death. So that when we go into that moment where we pass... We go right into the presence of God. Now, the Old Testament proclaimed this in several of the Psalms. The one I love is from Isaiah. Take a look at this. This is Isaiah 26. Isaiah says, but those who die in the Lord. Now, those have a relationship with God. Those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Now, in the Old Testament, the whole idea of the afterlife wasn't as clear as in the New Testament. We believe in what's called progressive revelation. So God didn't just dump all the truth at one time. He revealed it slowly throughout the ages and throughout the writers and books. And But there's clearly an understanding that we're going to die, but we're going to live. Our bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth, meaning the bodies are there, will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. I love that. And so there is this reality that though we die here physically, our bodies go down in the grave. Our lives, our real immaterial parts go to be with heaven. And Jesus comes back and we're united and we're glorified and all that stuff. And that's how that works. But in the meantime, you and I live in this between two worlds kind of reality again. Because we live with the reality of death and, and we've lost people and we've, we've ached and we've cried and we've mourned over that. And that's a good thing because we've given our lives to people. And grieving is the price we pay for opening up our hearts to people. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And so we have aches and so we have pains. 
And so we have this tearing in our lives. But our hope is in a resurrection. Our hope is in the fact that though this life, as short as it is, is all we think about, all we put our hope in, all we invest in, the Bible says there's more to life than this. That our years, 60 to 80 or whatever we're given, is just such a small, small space in time compared to all eternity. But what we do in this little existence matters for the rest of eternity. Whether we say yes to Jesus and receive him as Savior and Lord, and as the Apostle Paul writes, we bow before him and confess him in this lifetime, or we reject him in this lifetime, blow him off, I don't want to know anything about it, I'll be an outsider in church, that was me, but I'm not going to become an insider, I'm not going to become a fanatic and really do all the Jesus stuff, I'll just kind of hang out and get the benefits. If we just ignore, if we just walk away, if we just deny the reality of our brokenness and sinfulness, that's so clear, if we just see it, and we just say, I'll power through and make it in life. Well, we'll do that until we die. And then we go into an eternity away from God. And then the book of Revelation shows up and talk about stuff I wish we could get a black highlighter and mark out. That all those who reject Christ will be cast into an eternal lake of fire. I don't like that. But it's true. People who reject him, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because we've said no to God in this lifetime. In the time we were given this little window of opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to fall down and bow down to him, we will one day bow down to him, confess he's Lord, and then be gone because we said no to him. Why would we reject such a great gift of salvation? Why would we say no to that? Because we think we're in charge in this world? Hasn't life taught us that we're not in charge? And yet you and I, followers of Jesus, our only hope is that Jesus went first. And Jesus was resurrected and he experienced three days in the grave. So you and I don't have to. And yet we've lost loved ones and we ache and we hurt. We have family members and friends who are on death's door. People with such an impact on our lives. And what do we do? Well, I want to wrap this up with this passage in, in back in First Corinthians, but in chapter five, where Paul says what I believe are just beautiful, encouraging words. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in, that's how the Bible makes this metaphor of our lives. It's just like a set up a tent, we're camping for a weekend, take it down. That's what our lives are. It's what our bodies are. We're just like a tent, which is cool because the Bible says in John one that Jesus showed up and he pitched a tent. He dwelt among us. Okay. So we know that when this earthly tent, this body we live in is taken down. That is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Can I get an amen? We grow weary. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. What a beautiful, what a beautiful picture. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. When we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies. Paul said this in Philippians. He goes, I'm torn. I want to die and go see Jesus and be with him. And yet I want to live because I'm benefiting you. And I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? I, I'll, I'll one day get there, but for now. So it's this tension. 
You know, we want to go to be with the loved ones we know and we've lost and they've gone before us. But we're still here. We've still got a mission. You know, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee... This is cool. He has given us his Holy Spirit as a reminder. By the way, the the guarantee here, it it says it really clear in Ephesians as well. Um, The word that's used in the Bible to describe that, it can also be used in that culture as like an engagement or a wedding ring. And I I wear my wedding ring as a reminder. Um, Ladies wear engagement rings. We're not married yet, right? This is what God has done for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit to guarantee that he's going to come back for us. And we have his Holy Spirit like an engagement ring waiting for that day when Jesus comes back. What does Paul say? Let's take a look at this. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yeah, it takes faith to believe in a resurrection. It does. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. And then he wraps it up with this. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. You know what Paul says very clearly? And and he describes this is that in the moment we pass from this life, we're in the presence of Jesus and there is a judgment and and the word judgment is a a, a good judgment. It's the idea of a reward judgment. And it was originally taken from the Greek Olympic Games, the, the rewards that were given in our modern, the gold and silver and the bronze. Those were perishable in those days, though, and people will be rewarded for what we've done. We'll, we'll all be judged. Paul says very clearly that we will stand before Christ and all of our efforts, all we've done in this body, in this lifetime, will be obvious And the fires of judgment will sweep through. And there will be things that won't last, that we won't take into eternity. And Paul just describes them as wood, hay, and stubble. Meaning things that might have meant a lot to us, but maybe were just for us. Maybe just for this lifetime. And they'll just burn up. And so the question is, how much of our life is spent investing in things that are just worthless? That don't matter to Christ and his mission to make disciples? To loving God and loving others. And then Paul says, but there will be things that last. And he describes them as gold and silver and precious stones. And we can only through conjecture understand that there are things done in our flesh for ourselves. And there are things done in the spirit for God. And those are the things that will last. Those will be the things that we take into eternity. I don't know what it looks like for you. I was driving yesterday thinking about this. And I was thinking about going back to Cuba. And by the way, I got a 20 minute presentation back in room 120 after this service uh, to talk about that. But I thought, you know, I, I will have no greater joy than to see pastors and people I've been able to train and then their church people stand up, people who've come to Christ. And I'll be able to stand there and worship with people of another race, of another language together and know that in some small way, God gave me a part in this. How do you evaluate your life right now? How much of your life has eternal value to it? My grandma had that magnet on her refrigerator. A quote from a missionary. C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
because we're going to get there one day and we will all be judged and we will all stand before Christ and we'll enter into heaven. And then one day the bodies will be resurrected and be joined together.